You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Michael Kist. Are you caught me not listening again? Benjamin Solak. You never listen! It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. What in the hell did we just witness, Ben? Some bad football. That was some of the worst, most confusing football that I have seen in a long time. This was a one-score game. By the way, Michael Kist here with Benjamin Solak. Kiss and Solak Show, episode 150. Eagles lose 17-9 to in the weirdest score for the way that the game played out because that does not feel like a one-score game. Carson Wentz was terrible. The pieces around him were terrible. And even when Carson did get in a, in a mini flow just for a second, some boneheaded decision by the coaching staff or a fumble by somebody else completely derails what they had going on. And that's not to excuse Carson. Like I said, Carson was terrible. Probably his worst game that I can remember as a pro, maybe going back to the Cincinnati game from his rookie year. Because even in Carson's bad games, he hasn't turned it over like this and looked this terrible. I'm I'm just, I'm upset with where this team is. And I know they're not officially dead. We're recording this before the Cowboys-Patriots game. I know they're not officially dead right now. It feels like they should be buried right now. That was was a frustrating game to watch. Ben, how you doing, brother? Are you ready? Okay, so everything is delicious. Are you ready? (laughs) Yeah. So the Eagles kicked a field goal with four minutes, or excuse me, with seven minutes, thir- 29 seconds left in the first quarter. Their subsequent drives ended in a fumble, sack fumble from Carson Wentz. Mm-hmm. Interception, three and out, three and out, end of the half, fumble, mm-hmm. five and out, <laughs> fumble, turnover on downs that would have been a three and out if they didn't go for it on fourth down, interception. <laughs> My God, man. And then Miles Sanders at the end, just like a perfect cap on the game. Right. Not taking the handoff. And I mean, I, I, it's it's hard to to know what to take away positive out of this game. Let's, let's play a game. Mm-hmm. The game is, we'll alternate saying the big questions, the big concerns that are circulating right now for Philadelphia. Okay. And then the other person will respond. Should Carson Wentz be benched? Right. So understanding Carson Wentz's performance against Seattle, and you can even fold in the performance against New England, is very important. Carson missed a swing pass to Miles Sanders. He missed a screen pass to Miles Sanders. He missed an outbreaking route to Zach Ertz. He missed a a, a, a a sit route, a curl route to Greg Ward. He missed a a crosser, a mesh crosser to J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. Carson missed a lot of throws. If you've watched Carson for three and a half years now and think he's incapable of being accurate enough to make these throws, I don't understand that. To me, I had a quarterback who for three and a half seasons has successfully thrown swing routes, has successfully thrown screens, has successfully thrown hitches. Three and a half seasons. He's done it for five years in college. He did it for two years in high school. These are very easy throws, and he's missing them. Mm-hmm. So I have a quarterback who for every year he's been on the Philadelphia Eagles, has successfully hit these throws, has hit them against tougher coverage, has hit, has hit harder throws, whatever. 
And the one thing that changed between then and now is the players he's throwing the ball to. And so you say, okay, well, Ben, he's missing. He's missing them completely. Yes, but you can't use this game as compelling evidence that Carson Wentz can't throw hitches or can't throw crossers because he, you have a, an overwhelming preponderance of evidence that he can. The missing easy throws is like the least concerning thing on the planet for me because bad quarterbacks, like objectively bad quarterbacks hit good, easy throws. It's they miss the hard throws and they can't push the ball down the field and they have bad pocket presence and they have bad ball, man, uh, you know, ball security and they throw interceptions, whatever. So if you want to make the case that Carson been a bad quarterback, don't use the missing of the easy throws. It doesn't matter to me at all. I, every bad quarterback on the face of the planet makes those. So Carson missing them doesn't tell me he's bad. It tells me that he and his receivers are nowhere near on the same page. The J.J. Ortega-Whiteside pass was right between Ortega-Whiteside's one and nine. And then Ortega-Whiteside hopped to the side right as Carson was releasing it. Carson and Ortega-Whiteside have not thrown that route in live game before. It's also a double clutch from Carson as J. John right. is objectively open coming across, right. which is a which is a big problem, not just missing the throws, but the indecisiveness, the pocket management that comes along with that, the lack of trust that he has to the point where mm -hmm. it's paralyzing Wentz's mental process. That's the bigger concern for me. So we have Carson like missing Greg Ward in a third down. I'm really not. I just don't. I don't care. I thought. I thought they had a confused landmark on that one myself. Right. Like I get it. The guy was just activated. I get that. Like he let he he let that go. He didn't double clutch that one. I'm more talking about like Wentz has an open guy, double clutches it, and then throws it, and then he's all out of whack, and right. you know it's inaccurate and and whatever, which seems to be happening in these last two weeks. I've never seen him double clutch as much in, in these last two weeks than I have like for for a significant stretch of time. Right. So again, this circles back to like, I mean, if you've just But this is the real this is the reality right now of who he's playing right. with. That's not going to change right. very much in for the for the duration of the and number one, I, I want to make clear. I'm not saying bench Carson Wentz. What I'm saying right now is Carson Wentz is very much in his own head right now, and it has a bit of that quicksand feeling to it. It's hard to imagine him getting out of it because it's been so bad from him. Mm -hmm. Carson, Miss Greg Ward, they're clearly not on the same page. I don't care. He's really not going to throw it to Greg Ward very much more in the rest yeah. of his life regardless of how well Greg Ward is playing. And I also know that Carson is physically and mentally capable of throwing the eight-yard set route. I've seen it happen three bajillion times before. It's worth no noting that Carson threw, like, many beautiful right-in-stride between-the-numbers breaking routes in this game. It wasn't, like, a complete mess. Okay, so what is concerning? Well, what is concerning is what's been concerning since the rookie year, since 2017, which... We didn't want to talk about it in 2017. And everybody who's all up in a tizzy about how bad Carson is and how bad the offense is and how you can't blame the receivers. Well, in 2017, when we were hawking this dude as MVP because he was putting up gaudy numbers, Eagles were winning football games. I'm here to tell you, he wasn't moving his feet in the pocket. Yeah. He was unsafe with the football. Mm -hmm. When he was, when like, I always, I always remember that Washington scramble, right? Where he like disappears inside the pocket for a second and then he bursts out and he converts on third and 10. It's just a bad play. He just should have gotten out of the pocket, but he didn't. And then he survived and he makes a spectacular play. But like from a, a personnel evaluation, from a, pro, a, a decision-making standpoint, it's a bad football play. And he made it good because he's enormously talented. But holding the ball with one hand, inviting sacks, being locked in on his first read, not moving his feet. This has been here from the beginning. 
from day one. Yeah, and, and this goes into my point that the smaller things get magnified because the big plays aren't being made by Carson and by the receivers as well, which is true. It's it's hard to like push those concerns aside when it feels like they're getting worse as we go along through this process, even with the context available. Well, this is what we talk about with supporting cast around him, but then also Carson getting into his own head, right? Mm. You know, you go to the, the, the Trey Flowers interception in the fourth quarter. Carson's mm-hmm. looking at he's in an empty set. He thinks he's got cover two. Cover two. Yep. Flowers initially stems like he's got cover two. Carson's sitting on his first read. He wants to honey hold Jordan Matthews for 15 yards between the safety and the corner. Flowers does a nice job flipping his hips, gaining up field. So it's cover two sink. He's not playing the flat because they know there's going to be no threat to the flat. Right. They're allowing Flowers to sink underneath that route. Carson still throws it. It's intercepted. Could have come off it. You know, the oh the um the one Miles Sanders, like, oh Miles Sanders over on the swing route. Carson wanted to go beyond the sticks. Wanna know why Carson wanted to go beyond the sticks? Because the Eagles are constantly handing the football off behind the line of scrimmage on third down and they don't pick it up. More on that later. Yeah. But anyway, so Carson tries to go behind the uh, beyond the sticks and man coverage ends up getting sacked because four man pressure gets there immediately. Right? Could he have taken Sanders? Sure. But he doesn't because he's trying to get the ball down the field. Okay. So what if you want to be concerned about Carson Wentz long term, which I think I'm six more games of this away from getting concerned about Carson Wentz long term, hmm. just for a perspective on where yeah, I am. Yeah, I have a probably a sunnier long term 2020 2021 outlook than I think a lot of people would have right now. As as concerned as I am, and for good reason. Right about the rest of this season. If this is if this is the context, if wide receiver one is out, wide receiver two is out, wide receiver three is out, right tackle is out, right guard is out, running back one is out, if that's the context under which you want to evaluate Carson Wentz, if you think the dude coordinating his offense should be fired, which many of you do, <laughs> if this is the context in which you want to project Carson Wentz forward for the rest of his career, yeah. go for it. I'll use a different one and I'll be more accurate right. than you. And, 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 and I mean, how many, how many slant right. flat... How much can you run that in a single game? Like, how do we expect this offense to move the ball down the field whatsoever when it's at, like, a, again, it is a very horizontal offense, you know, three-step drops, you know, expect it. That's, it's, it's not going to work for us, man. It's just, it's just not. And like you said, it's hard to extrapolate what you saw over the long term when the situation that you just mentioned, the situation in the New England game is not going to be the long-term living situation for Carson Wentz. The problem is, right now in front of our face, we have a quarterback that looks like is mentally unraveling before our eyes. What's the solution? Okay, so how do you, in, in the immediate time frame, get better play out of Carson Wentz? I was going to say an offseason, but immediate time frame, I'll, right. I'll let immediate you time frame, that Well, one. like, if the Cowboys lose to the Patriots, mm-hmm. the Eagles have five games left against the Dolphins, the Giants, the Redskins, the Giants, and the Cowboys. They pretty much have to win all five if they're going to win the division, which we expect them Still to win the four. I still very much expect them to do that. Um, but then you have this this uh, fifth one against Cowboys, which matters. So the immediate time frame, how do you get better play out of Carson Wentz? The number one and easiest answer is just very simply get Elshon Lane and Jordan Howard healthy. Yeah, get That's healthy, not yeah. hard. Right. And 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 again, circling back to the, the point I was making, Carson Wentz played badly. You can go and find other games in which Carson Wentz played badly, and with the starting quarterback played badly. And the supporting cast and the, the defense was enough around him such that they won the football game, such that it probably made the quarterback look better than he was. Supporting cast is definitely not doing that for right. this team at all. I would challenge you <laughs> to find a game in which 
wide receiver one, two, and three were out. Running back one was out. Right tackle and right guard were out. And the quarterback elevated his team. And we've talked about how much I hate that phrase. Yeah, me too. Elevated his team such to the point where they won. Like, somebody find out on pro football reference for me. Because, <laughs> and this goes back to calibrating expectations we talked about last week. Teams missing six out of ten non-QB starters typically lose (laughs) at the very least are really bad on offense so calibrating expectation you know when we talked about this game on thursday and friday we thought aguilar and alshon were playing doug thought aguilar and alshon were playing doug told us on friday alshon and aguilar were playing yeah let's 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 talk about that because that's that's what a weird quote this is this is doug when being asked on friday about the status of nelson aguilar and alshon jeffrey quote they're both trending i guess that's the word of the day in the right direction we know that in this sport and in this game, you have to play sometimes a little beat up, and both these guys are tough guys and fully expect that, unquote. Of course, neither were active. Perhaps it was because Wentz sent them an invitation to the game. Shout out to Jeff, the uh, Jeff McLean article. Like The disconnect between what Doug says and what is reality about these injuries is wild, and that quote just sets up those two guys to look bad. I don't think it's a huge deal as an isolated thing, but it's like drops of the water that continue to fill an already overflowing bucket that points to a fractured relationship between like Wentz and Alshon. And of course, Nelson, you know, we've had a hard time buying into that injury this entire time. Not that he's faking it, but rather that they made him a healthy scratch because he's obviously going through them through some things right now that could be bigger than football. I don't know. I'm not a psychologist. I don't know these things. But at the same time, you're, you're talking about a team that looks completely unprepared for what they should have known were going to be players that were inactive on game day. I mean, that's what the game plan looked to me. And they've been caught off guard by this multiple times. They were caught off guard by it coming out of the bye. I don't I don't get it. I saw something very funny. I forget who tweeted it, so I won't put this person on blast. But, you know, the moral of the story being like injury is very difficult to predict. Like, you know, the, the idea that the Eagles are like ignoring injury signs is to me hokum because it's very hard to predict injury. Players who are iron men are due for an injury. Players who are injured are injury prone. It's a violent game. People get injured. Yeah. Eagles are very unhealthy. And and what I'm saying is, you had a whole bye week. You didn't realize that guys were going to be out. You had this entire right. week, and you're and it looked and it looked to me. So it's either that they were caught by surprise that Alshon wasn't going to play. I mean, Doug is out here saying he expects Nelly to play. Neither of them play. Was the game plan that bad because they expected those two to, two to play, or is the game ba- game plan that bad? Period. So either way, I'm concerned. No matter how you, no matter how you slice it. Right, which th- that was my, that's the other thing that's like interesting to me is when the Eagles lose Alshon and and Aguilar, which Aguilar being lost, net positive, net negative, there's no way of knowing. Not like the passing game dies, but like they also, they lose lane and they went to a completely different rushing attack than yep. they've typically done in the first half. They came out in the second half and went back to concepts that have worked for them historically. And Mike, get this, they ran the ball better. Mm. you know they didn't have a guy playing right, right tackle hasn't played right tackle since he was 14 which oh dillard was so bad at right tackle oh my gosh he was which, awful. like <laughs> which like yes like i would prefer dillard to play over vitai at right tackle but i didn't think dillard was going to be that bad at right tackle and i right. feel like you should have been able to tell in the weeks of practice that he wasn't going to be good at right tackle but dillard i mean he just continues to be bad against bull rushes that translated over from the left side it was just worse because he was on the right side and then jj i think a white side who is not typically taking jet motion never did it in college doesn't do it much at the nfl level because he doesn't get played 
runs into him on jet motion, trips him, Rasheem Green kills him, and then Carson sees Rasheem Green on the floor. Charles Davis is like, I don't even think he saw him. Meanwhile, Carson like right stepped around him. Yeah. Right. Unbelievable. Carson <laughs> decides to drop the ball in one hand while Rasheem Green is on the floor. Hey, brother. Pick it up. Right. And, what, Which, what, what, what? Yeah, that brings us back to, to where we were on Carson. Yeah. If you want to be concerned about Carson long term, don't point to a missed throw to Greg Ward. It's not a compelling case to me at all. Yeah. And I don't think it's compelling to anybody who's serious about this. Can, can we go can we go back to the the offensive line for just a second? Because I want to talk sure. about that that stupid fumble that they had where coming out of the half, they finally get some sort of semblance also, of a drive. This is my favorite going. play of the game. Yeah. They get some semblance of a drive going. <laughs> Wentz starts to get into a flow, which is big for him. Like, you know, and I'm not saying he was balling out or anything right. like that, but when you're a quarterback that's in a mental rut like that, small wins start to pile up and you can get out of that. And that's what was happening with Wentz. He was playing better. Right. He was getting in rhythm. Very important. And then on third on the and drive, short, Wentz was five for seven for doing math, 31 yards. Right. He had com- converted on a third and eight. And a third and two, though I didn't ha- I didn't like the third and two play call at all. The shovel. We'll on that in a second. Yes. Yeah. So they had they had the cute little shovel. And then they run a play where like he sprints out to hand off to Sanders. Vitae don't know what he's doing. They had just moved around the offensive line again where Matt Pryor and Vitae were starting on the right side because Brooks was out. You run a concept you've never run before on third and three. That's when you decide to get cute. When your quarterback right. is in a rhythm, they ran. So the I, you know, people are like, ah, oh, they're running a. Uh, I think Charles Davis called it a draw. It wasn't a draw. They were running. I mean, it was, I guess, because you were getting you were like getting a, pass sets from the right side of the line. Right. So I guess you called it a draw. But it was it was a it was a it was a counter style style footwork from Miles Sanders. And Miles Sanders, I mean, the so the concept here. Well, no, because like this is this is this is objectively interesting. So if yeah. you if you watched the most recent All Twenty Two clip I put up on the timeline, uh, the Eagles have been putting Miles Sanders in the backfield and they've been releasing him out to the flat. And they've been releasing him on these wheel routes, you know, mesh sit wheel, you know, post wheel, whatever we talk about. So from a wide alignment, wider than usual from shotgun, Miles Sanders initially takes that hard step outside, and Big V initially pass sets, and so it's going to look to that side of the formation like Sanders is about to go on the wheel route. And then all of a sudden, Sanders hits the brakes. He turns back up into the the into the tackle box. Carson puts the ball on his belly, and he sprints upfield vertically for a third and three third and three conversion. It's a play you've never ran before. Mm-hmm. It's behind and conditional on the success of your third string slash second string right tackle, and it's your rookie running back. It doesn't work. Right. And the question is is that that's begged is. What about the no-huddle, quick-passing attack that had got you here were you suddenly worried about? As much as I was, like, talking about there's so much slant-flat in this offense, seems like a good time for slant-flat in that situation. Well, and so, and this is, right, so this is, um, you know, they have this, like (sighs) I said, the third and two uh, shovel pass to Dallas Goddard. Split back, Dallas Goddard, shovel pass. On third and two, you're throwing a pass three yards behind the line of scrimmage. I don't think that's necessary. And what's really annoying about the third and three mile Sanders handoff is it's in the edge of field goal range, which is just a, a, something that that Doug just can't stop doing. Is whenever they've got third and short, especially on their side of the field, they try to go backwards yeah. before going forward. And it just, from an analytics perspective, doesn't make any sense. Targets behind the line of scrimmage are the dumbest thing in the world to analytics. It's football guys who are all like, you need them, the constraint plays, make the defense rally, yards after catch. So it's very peculiar to me that this is a decision that he makes. There are two things that drive me nuts about Doug. And again, 
we've been here for years. Four years. This is the 150th episode of the Kist and Solak show. I do not have the energy to go back and listen through them. But I promise you we've been here for years. One, plays behind the line of scrimmage on third down. And then two, designs on the screen game drive me up the wall. And people don't agree with me on this. I know that you don't feel strong about this as I do. But like they did, they try to do another one of the like play action, Miles Sanders, Dallas Goddard screen passes where as long as the linebacker doesn't, you know, go running away, he's going to accidentally end up exactly where the play is. Uh-huh. Play action to a screen pass that's not to the running back makes no sense. You just asked defenders to stay in the box to run a screen pass at them. It doesn't work. It works once out of every five times for 40 yards. But the other four times is a four-yard loss, and that's a huge difference. So those are the two things that drive me crazy about Doug. Uh, both of them showed up in this game. But again, in terms of the context under which you want to evaluate somebody, Peterson's in-game designs and play calling, while not game-winning and, and you know all of a sudden unlocking the offense— are very difficult for me to criticize. I asked at the half for no huddle and for Carson outside of the pocket, and I got Carson no huddle and outside of the pocket. Right, yeah. I think they appropriately identified what the issues were and attempted to solve them. It's worth noting that you know we had a, a we had three drives make it into Seattle territory that all ended in turnovers. So the Eagles were able to, and this was before before 17 to 3. This was at 10 to 3. There, there was a two were at 10 to 3, and then one was at 17 to 3. Eagles had drives that they got into Seattle territory and the end turnovers. So it's not like, you know, when the game was completely out of reach. So there was movement, and I think they made the necessary halftime adjustments. I think the context under which you can evaluate Doug is, as we've talked about, the positional coaching hires, uh-huh. offensive coordinator hire also being one as well, where you'd like to see them bring in somebody else who's able to install some freshness install some creativity into this offense and so that's where i fall on 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 play calling in terms of that situation that specific play as well i want to finish my carson wentz point yeah because you didn't let me finish it you made me start talking about the offensive line go for it if you want to make a convincing case that carson wentz has concerns long term from being a successful starting quarterback in the nfl you should point to pocket presence you should point to ball security you should point to first read reliance I don't think you have a great case with first read reliance. A lot of that has to do with scheme, I think, right yeah, now. Yeah, a lot of that but... has to do with the way that they, they want to do everything pre-snap. Yeah. And you could say, oh, well, that indicates they don't trust Carson post-snap. And I can't mm. prove you're wrong. I don't mm. agree with you, but I can't prove you wrong. Right, right, right. What I'm saying is, like, I am at the point with Carson now where I want to help his detractors actually make good arguments to, you know, slander him so that this is no longer exhausting and painful. I've been trying to do it all week and I feel your pain. Because we right. a lot it's of the, like, a lot of the conversation or at least a lot of the major takeaways are correct. They're arriving there at that conclusion with weird evidence and the process is just odd. Right. I'm sorry, go ahead. Which is fascinating to me because like if you thought Carson was playing at a 2017 MVP caliber click and then you see his game against Seattle and you say Carson Wentz played really bad. Bad quarterback. Bad, bad, bad quarterback. Why isn't your next question, why did he play bad? Right. And why is the answer anything but, well, it seems like the receivers are really different and measurably worse. Hmm. Or, oh, he lost his offensive coordinator and his quarterback coach, and it seems like the replacement aren't playing well. Or really go after it and say, 
he's injured and and he'll never be healthy again and his back and his knee if you know he has to re-sculpt how he's a quarterback or sure i mean go for like you know nick Foles has mentally ruined him but to just be like you asked me to stop slamming the table and i slammed the table there and like that's on me and i will clap instead or you just go for carson wentz is bad and he's a bad quarterback now and actually he's bad and he can't throw curl routes and he never will that's just not interesting analysis to me it doesn't add anything it's not helpful i mean you, this is again we were circling back to the what, the adage we've used like Keep it simple, stupid. The most simple explanation is likely the the, the the most simple explanation is likely the one that holds the truth. Eagles offense isn't good because six of the eleven starters aren't playing. <laughs> That's why it's bad. No, that sucks. Yeah. So yeah, um, Carson played really bad football. Fortunately, he's a good quarterback. Doug didn't call a great game. Fortunately, he's a good head coach. And if you disagree. You've got a smattering of games here and there against the body of work that they've put together for three and a half seasons. So you lose. We'll talk more about this game when we come back from break here on the Kissed and So Like Show. We got to talk about some defense, Ben, because uh, they uh, they didn't they didn't allow a whole bunch of points. There might be some extra contacts to that, but we'll talk about that when we come yeah, back. Yeah, it's called drops <laughs> here on the Kissed and So Like Show. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back here on the Kist and Solak Show, episode 150. Michael Kist here with Benjamin Solak talking about this Eagles 17-9 to loss to the Seahawks. We are recording during the Dallas and Patriots game, which is very important context because as bad as things seem right now, and, and as I'm seeing it right now, there's five minutes left in the first of that Dallas-New England game. If Dallas loses, the Eagles are still somehow firmly in this thing because the NFC East is, in fact, buns. So the Eagles are still alive, but... Spirits are not high in Philadelphia right now. Uh, possibly one reason for hope is that maybe Carson Wentz isn't the quarterback that we've seen over the past couple of weeks and things start to get right and they get healthy. And maybe the defense that allowed a bunch of points in, in, a, in, a, in a couple key games early on in the season that has played better lately, maybe holding the Seahawks to 17 points is a sign that they're on the right track. Now, there's a there's a lot of different things as far as the context of this goes. Number one, I mean, they had a bunch of sacks today. I thought the defensive line did well. Um, I, I want to look at some of the blitz designs and whatnot, but it, they got after Russell Wilson, and they should have bad bad offensive line for the Seattle Seahawks. And so I think there was some good play and some some good reasons that the Eagles, you know, didn't allow a bunch of points. But then, I mean, you also take into the fact that I mean, DK drops a sure touchdown on a blitz where Darby gets beat on a post. Shocker. Another one, Wilson sails one that's wide open in the end zone. That's also early in the game. Later, DK just doesn't collect one on a diving third and 11 right. catch where he burns. Jalen Mills' moves. best plays in this game were DK Metcalf dropping the football. Jalen Mills flexing after DK Metcalf dropping the ball. And I'm, I'm not even being sarcastic here. It's like my favorite thing about Jalen Mills. There is nothing you can do to this guy 
to shake his confidence. And I and I know that's like like a like a bit with him. Like he's confident no matter what, and he's always going to celebrate no matter what happened. He got beat a bunch of times in this game, man, and he got bailed out on a couple of them. I thought he was bad. I thought it was a bad performance, and I think the people that are arguing for him to be extended, if they think he's a long-term answer at starting outside cornerback, I think they are high. Ben, overall, what did you think about this uh, defensive performance from the Eagles that only gave up 17 points? Somebody, I think, asked us about, like, didn't you say take the over in this game? Yeah, and it would have been like, 21 to 3 at the half if <laughs> Seattle didn't just like completely blow two plays. I'm here to tell you, man, like these are, uh, this could have been a lot worse on the defensive side of the ball than it looked. What went well? Defensive line played well. Yeah. I think they did, they did a successful job winning on a lot of the interior blocks. I think they bottled up the run game generally pretty nicely. That Rashad Penny touchdown, I mean, they, they trapped Fletcher Cox, which is the formula for getting explosive runs on Philadelphia. Nate Gary and Nigel Bradham eat it alive, and yep. then Ronnie McLeod isn't there for the uh, for the fill. And uh, successfully fill. And yeah. listen, I mean, like, the reason you like Rashad Penny, and I'm not saying you like Rashad Penny <laughs> in the first round, but the reason you like Rashad Penny is because he's a big fella who can move. Uh, and so when, when a safety comes down to fill against him, you expect him to win that play. And he does. If anybody in the world expected Darby to make that tackle, well, Lord, I got another thing coming for you. You got to watch some, uh, watch some Ronald Darby. He thought he was going to tackle anybody in the open field. Um, but anyway, so besides that one play, I think they did a good job there. Obviously, there was um, there was a lot of, of, of like, Eagles got a good coverage sack, which you want to go back and you want to watch those plays and understand fully what happens there. It feels like they did a good job moving Wilson off his spots initially. Yeah. Uh, first drive, second drive, he was actually getting pretty good at that, but then they, they were getting better at contain. They were getting better at getting a second rusher there to make sure he didn't have time to set his feet and throw. So I thought that was impressive stuff. Um, and then, yeah, like, I, I you know, I took the Mickey out of Mills there, but it seems like Mills and Darby generally didn't have a, you know, world-ending games. And so, again, like we're going to have to watch back and see how good those – individual performances were but generally like i thought the metcalf and gordon were able to we're going to be able to kill us yeah on a way they were not able to do and so but that was that was what was impressive for me for the defense i think what's the most impressive thing is the resiliency of constantly getting out there on the field and keeping this game alive and close they right. had a very like found a way sort of a game which mm-hmm. obviously the offense didn't do the second half of that job but they they were constantly big plays big moments late downs keeping things close and that's all you need from your defense at home when you when your offense is completely sputtering as you're like listen just keep us alive until we get this right on the offensive side of the ball unfortunately it took too long for philadelphia to do so and there was a ton of turnovers that put them in bad situations and like you said there was there was a run of drives where the eagles weren't doing anything offensively and overall while i mentioned those negative things where they got bailed out i it could have been a lot worse and we have seen a lot worse from this defense so i do think that is a positive takeaway overall from the defense and i'm wondering i haven't looked yet i'm wondering how many fire jim schwartz first extend jim schwartz comments we're gonna get in the mentions i think people are gonna have a positive review of schwartz overall on this game uh ben what do you think of the uh what was it the 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 fleet the flea flicker type deal the the throwback pass and then I don't know what McLeod was looking on that. I thought McLeod was right. up and down. He, you know, missed the tackle on Penny. He got burned on the on the flea flicker from from uh, who who caught that one? Turner, Malik Turner. Turner. Yeah, by yeah. Malik Turner. Which, yeah. No. Again, speaking of you know, <laughs> yeah. I've now brought up Charles Davis saying things on the broadcast three times. Uh, Charles Davis said that McLeod recognized it. I disagree. He did not. He did not at uh, all. I would say that McLeod stepping down 
to fill against a Russell Wilson caught screen pass yeah. indicates that he did not know that Wilson was going to potentially throw the football, which is frustrating. Yeah. Um, that was a great ball by Wilson. I mean, that, that's that's why you draw off that play is because you expect to be able to get him over the top of the defense, and then you still got to be able to complete on a 50-plus yard pass. What's the most frustrating is that it was the first Seahawks play across the 40. and Shot play. It was, it was zone. Right? Yeah, it this was is what, zone. This is what we talked about. Was, I'm not going to sit here and, and like, I like, I watched the film. I talked to you guys about it. I don't know anything. I don't watch it with nearly the nuance of the coaching staffs. But, like, this was pretty clear to me. So I feel like it should have been clear and it should have been communicated among the defense. Like, hey, remember we were watching film and you remember when we were sitting down in our positional meetings I remember when Jim told us that when they get past the 40, they're going to dial up a shot play. Mm. And when they're going for play action, they use zone blocking concepts, which the Eagles linebackers were generally good against that, by the way, I will say. But in this case, the safety is just it's a trick play. So, you know, that's what it tells you one thing. It does another thing. But it's frustrating that your deep safety wasn't cognizant of the fact that whenever they get past the 40 is usually when they go for it. It's not like you didn't just get burned by a trick play the week before either. Right. I don't want to tell you on that one. Whoa, brother. An encouraging defensive performance with some context needed. Offense just could could I it's so weird, man. Seattle did everything they could to keep the Eagles in this game, including some like weird fumbles and and Chris Carson and and just some inexplicable stuff. Seattle seems to be able to do this and keep themselves in one score games no matter what's going on. And of course they kept the Eagles in this, which put another notch in the negative column for Carson Wentz in one score games, because even though it didn't feel like a one score game, but ultimately Seattle wins. There's going to be a ton of talk, a ton to talk about throughout the week about this game. Uh, ben, before we get to three words, and actually before I get to that, I, I think I want to 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 call an all staff meeting, not necessarily all staff meeting, but an emergency uh-huh. BGN radio between me, you, and BLG, because I want to get BLG's thoughts earlier in the week about this game because things okay. are looking bad, and we should get his input on this. And like I said, there's a lot of things to cover that we can't necessarily cover in this game. And there's that. But before we get to three words, I wanted to mention that about a month ago, we had a a gentle listener chime in. What they were saying was that the Eagles should extend Jordan Howard. And my response was that the Eagles should wait and see if the guy can get through the season healthy first. And that's not because Howard has missed a bunch of games in his career. He's a tough dude that has had some reoccurring shoulder injuries and he's played through them. But for a guy with 671 touches in college, 979 touches in the pros. It'll be over 1,700 by season's end. And obviously he missed this game because the quote-unquote stinger isn't really a stinger. It's probably something worse. You worry that the wear and tear is going to catch up with him eventually, especially when tough running and finishing is not only a major strength, but the key facet to his game. So I'm not saying don't try to bring him back, but if it's not a bargain. You're going to have to count on Sanders to develop as a 1A back in year two and make it work. Otherwise, that group is going to get an overhaul regardless because Clement's not the guy. Sproles is done. If it was possible, Boston Scott would be on the practice squad for 100 years. Who knows about Jay Ajayi, who I think is their Howard insurance policy, and that's why they added the special language to his contract so they can match whatever offer he gets in free agency. But the point here being, Howard has been better than expected. But let's not dump cash into a position where you can find guys like him or Kenyon Drake at sheet value like day three pick swaps in the trade market and in the bargain bin in free agency. You can take the Colts approach to building a backfield and be perfectly fine like they are. And before anybody says, well, look at what the Eagles had at the running back position last year. Well, yeah, Sproles got hurt. 
and we're relying on an older player. Ajayi got hurt. Go cheap. Go young. And look, Howard's young, but he has a ton of touches. If he's cheap, sure, go for it. If not, sayonara. Right, that's the sad thing, because like, there's always Howie and team building takes after this. And like, if there was a way to build a team that was consistently and yearly competitive, number one, it would involve Bill Belichick. And number two, it would probably look like back-to-back playoff berths, despite playing your backup quarterback for multiple ones of those, and then still a potential playoff berth in year three. So like, firstly, the Eagles are one of the most successful teams in terms of building in recent history. And think about this too, and and sorry to cut you off, but think about this too. Fired. The 31st most injured team per football outsiders adjusted games loss wins a playoff game last year. You don't think Howie has anything to do with that? You don't think there's a positive takeaway from that? You are are out of your mind if you really want to criticize and put that on Howie. Sorry. Right. I'm here to tell you like if, uh, you know, you... uh, you're not going to get like the formula for building a successful team involves signing cheap players because their value has been depreciated by injury. Mm. That's what's been most successful for the highest number of teams over the course of the rookie wage scale CBA yeah. and the incredible decrease in veteran contracts because of the rookies. If you don't like that because it leads to situations like we've talked about where the Eagles have now had six out of 11 offensive starters not play. Okay. You got to present me with a better alternative. And like, what? Was it fire Howie and promote Joe Douglas and draft better? Sure, but building through the draft ain't exact either. Teams are generally pretty bad at drafting good football players. So this is, you know, like, like, again, if every year you could just follow a formula and compete, teams would have found it by now. That's not the way it is. Sometimes some of your picks don't do well. Some of your picks get hurt. Some of your veterans get hurt. Some of your veterans don't do well and you aren't as successful as you were going to be. But like, I'm not going to change what is a pretty solid opinion on Howie being a good GM because the Eagles lost two games to two really good teams because of players getting injured. Yeah. And that is, you know, that's just grasping for narratives because you're upset that the Eagles lost. And that's fair. That's fine. We get it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm not, I'm never going to tell you not to be upset when your football team loses, but Hey, this is Monday. Sunday is for being upset. Monday is for, if you enjoy the Kiss and Solak show, understanding why football is kind of the way that it is. Yeah, I agree. And and look, if you're going to be upset with us for not being upset enough about the long-term future and our takes on Howie and whatnot, that's fine, man. I get it. The Eagles stink right now. Everybody is upset. I'm upset. I'm looking for answers too, just like you are. Maybe we'll get some more clarification on what those answers are as as we move along through this process. But uh, right now, I don't, I don't, I don't think some of the blame being passed around. I think a lot of it's just kind of reactionary. Some of the panic is kind of reactionary. Anyway, uh, a couple of quotes from Carson Wentz before we move into three words. Uh, this is from Brandon Lee Gowton. Carson Wentz says Eagles fans have every right to boo him. I would agree. I'm pro booing. Tariq Cohen of the Bears had a whole like, "We won. Why are you guys booing?" thing when they beat the Giants today, and I was like, "Brother." <laughs> Well, I, it's the least offensive thing you can do. You're just making a guttural sound. Who cares? It, like, I, there's just nothing I love more than Eagles fans being like, yeah, or Eagles players being like, yeah, like we they get we're it. bad at this. Yeah. So we should be booed. Yeah. Simple as that. That's the expectation when you come to things. Fans are going to not stop booing. Anyway, Wentz says, uh, this is from Jimmy Kemsky. Wentz says his teammates, quote unquote, work their butts off. I let them down, taking some accountability there. And then Kemsky again, Carson Wentz blames himself for not playing well since he needs to be better. I mean, that's facts. And hopefully Wentz can get out of whatever mental funk he is in and they can start to get some players back around him. And and this offense starts to look a little bit different before the end of the season because God, does this city need it? All right, Ben, 
I have not looked at the responses in three words yet. Have you? To yep. see how- Okay, so firstly shot pandemonium, not neum, momium, pandemonium, not JK. Uh, at non JK says just grow away. <laughs> <laughs> he has 18 followers, not to put him on blast, and 21 likes, which I think is a great ratio. Um, okay. <laughs> and our first our first significant rules break of the day at Shrike Lightning, Chronophasia JK says uh bring on 2020 and in a subsequent tweet says fire might grow and in a subsequent tweet says carson is overrated and in a subsequent (laughs) tweet says defense is approving and in a subsequent tweet says dougie is bad we are not going to read your responses if you break the rules (laughs) and having more than one three words is breaking the rules that's 15 words yeah I, I, I think I can't multiply three by five. Yeah. We're only reading this to point out that this is breaking the rules and that we're not going to read it again. Never. <laughs> Speaking of which, Liam Day at underscore Liam Day says, please, your mother of God, fire grow. <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to read those either. That's breaking. Can't just take away spaces. I can figure you out. Nice try. Yeah. Uh, Alex Rizzo, longtime listener at Jay Rizzo says, fire someone now. Question for you, Ben. Who would you fire if you had to fire somebody on the coaching staff? Who are you firing right now? Walsh. Carson Walsh Waltz. Coach. Oh yeah. yeah. I I mean I think yeah. we when Doug and Grow had to Imagine? get Imagine. Like this is my favorite thing is like okay so the Eagles have now lost their last two games and they're 5 and 6 and they lost two straight at home. Let's go back to like 1 month ago. Eagles just gave up 38 to the Vikings and 37 to the Cowboys. Can you imagine if we were like ah oh, defense kept us in against the Seahawks but we should really, you know, Carson's playing bad. We should really consider firing the offense coordinator and the wide receivers coach. You know what I mean? Like that's why, like right now, who would you fire? The answer would have been different for a lot of people one month ago, which you know kind of speaks to how we ride the roller coaster of the season. Right. Um, Andrew Jarbola has a solution though. At AJ Jarbola says fire the entire staff, Ooh. which probably wouldn't work too well because then you'd have to hire a new one and they'd be worse. Here, here is the next level. Of Jim Schwartz takes in three words because we usually have fire and extend Jim Schwartz like yes. those those are the two takes. Chris Clark at Mister underscore Clark fourteen says Schwartz for HC Schwartz for head coach. <laughs> <laughs> I had to read that one. That is a spicy meatball right there. David Tomei at DM score Tomei says Caldwell Gruden. Please bring up Jim Caldwell and Jay Gruden, two candidates. For a potential offensive coordinator, I also like Greg Burton at Sentans19 says, fire fumble coordinator. I like that. Yeah, Eagles had three fumbles. Speaking of which, Dallas Goddard fumble. Mm. Defense allowed to make good plays. Hey. Sucks. Put him on blast. Why why are we talking about this? Put him on blast. Why are we talking about this? Well, because BLG and John Solness thinks Dallas Goddard's bad. And (laughs) I just, I don't, Goddard was supposed to break out in year two, right? This is the whole thing. Well, okay. Right now. His catches per game, or excuse me, his catch percentage, catch per target, is massively down. 75% in year one to 63.2% in year two. Besides that, he had 44 targets in year one. He has 38 right now. 33 receptions in year one, now 24. He's averaging 10.7 instead of 10.1. He had four touchdowns then. He has four touchdowns now. He's averaged 20 or 21 yards per game then he's averaging 29 yards per game now so if you want to make him break out i would say target him more would be my proposal because right now he has 38 targets across the course of this season been healthy for every single game eagles use 12 personnel more than any other team in the league nelson aguil's got 63 i don't know to me if you want your 
if you want a breakout statistical performance from your second round pick from last year, I would target him more than a really bad football player who you can you continue to indulge. Yeah. That's just me. So like, I don't know, when Goddard catches a, a, a quick, you know, tight end screen, takes it for 13 yards, is carrying a defender, and then Quandre Diggs, an objectively good football player, comes yeah. in and makes an objectively good football play. Mm-hmm. Like, it sucks, but I don't blame Goddard for it. Like, uh, like you're in a spot the, where you have to you right. have to get every single yard you can. <laughs> and if I right, and if I may, with like you know BLG and John Stolnes, who I love very dearly, yes, the the decadence, the indulgence, the 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 luxury of complaining about Dallas Goddard. It seems got ninety five bajillion different things going on, <laughs> and yes, Goddard like fumbled the ball. Right. It's like the twelfth most heinous play that occurred for the Eagles' offense <laughs> in this game. So no, like I get it. Like like yeah, it's like he's had drops. And he's got fumbles. Yeah. And those suck. And you should get rid of them in order to be better. But also. Good football player. Good football player. Yeah. Um, Objectively. But, I, didn't, I don't like that you made me put them on blast. I'm not comfortable with that. <laughs> but by the way, second quarter now, New England is up 10 nothing on Dallas. 12.46 left in that. So this might right. age by the time that we put I mean, this out. It's, but like you have the get rightiest game of all get right games against the Dolphins next week. Right. And then you have the Giants and the Redskins. And 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 now the thing about the Giants with Daniel Jones and the Redskins who just beat the Lions with Dwayne Haskins is that like these teams are going to want to beat you a lot because you're a division rival and because they want to get their rookie quarterbacks kind of indoctrinated into the rivalry and so on and so forth. So like those shouldn't be aren't going to be gimme games. So the Eagles are much better roster wise, assuming people are healthy against them. Right. So, yeah. you know, OK, the cow, the Eagles look like they suck right now. All right. Well. Here's how the season has gone so far, by the way, win-loss-wise. They beat the Redskins, lose to the Falcons, lose to the Lions. Beat the Packers, beat the Jets, lose to the Vikings, lose to the Cowboys. Beat the Bills, beat the Bears, lose to the Patriots, lose to the Seahawks. <laughs> so really, we're definitely in line for another two wins. Yeah, we're on okay? the low point of the of the the seesaw has slammed one way. Yes. I think what Ben is saying, we're due for a seesaw slam on the other right. side. But anyway, like, it, you know, how could this team possibly beat the Cowboys? Well... They're going to come into the Cowboys game on a three-game winning streak. Hmm. I believe that pretty strongly. And the Cowboys have a uh, yep. unique ability to have inexplicable games. And it's good, but like you're going to be feeling pretty good. Carson's going to be playing better. Offense is going to be healthier than it was. And you're going to be remembering a bad loss. You had to them, an embarrassing loss in the middle of the season. And you're going to be fighting for the division, hmm. assuming the Cowboys lose to the Patriots. So, like, you, you can't tell me we're not going to be able to script the narrative for an Eagles win in that game. We're going to be able to. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, Eagles went to the playoffs last year. They right. had like 0.01 chance right. of going. After Listen, after we beat the Bears and it was on the bye week, you and I sat here and we said, okay, the Eagles are 5-4. and four. They got to beat the Dolphins, Giants, Redskins, Giants. That puts you at 8-4. and four. Mm-hmm. Then it's win one of the three against Dallas, New England, and the Seahawks. Hopefully the Dallas game, namely the Dallas game, and guarantee a playoff win. We said that after the Bears game. You and I sat here on a podcast and drew out that future. Yeah. I'm sure it felt great to everybody listening then. <laughs> it was like, frick, yeah, we will. It's just the All we got to do is win one of the – right. I mean, I, mean, I, I, I get you, the negativity, though, because yeah. the, if, if the Eagles had lost in different fashions in these last two games, I think we'd, we would be talking about that same scenario a little bit differently. So I get the positive sure. side to it and – the negative side I surely right. get as well. So yeah, so so but anyway, the Eagles are in the exact same playoff situation they were to me before the Patriots and before the Seahawks. Beating either one of them would have been cool because it would have helped, but it's not necessary. Dallas loses to the Patriots, which they should do, and we're good to go. Yeah. We uh, 
week 16 is for the division, as as we've anticipated. Um, a one that I wanted to grab: Sundiata Fox Pittman at Beware of the Fox to the second long time listener. Yeah, yeah, cool. Uh, says had we've been with a picture That's with a gif of Yoda, Yoda. Yeah, which is cute. All right, we brother. are suck. Brooks yeah. Stevens at Brooks Stevens, but then also throws the hashtag fly goes fly after it to make sure that we all know what he's talking about. Ben, it's not going to be three words, but get us out of here. I think I've had enough. Take us out. <laughs> get us, us gone. Take take us home is my three words. The Eagles lose to the Seahawks. The Seattle Seahawks. There you go. You should use all the letters in the word. <laughs> Seventeen to nine. This is their second straight loss. Five and six. One and a half games out of the lead of the division as we're currently looking at it. Uh, Cowboys Patriots results pending. Rough game for Carson Wentz. Rough game for the offense. Rough game for the coaching staff. Interesting game for the defense. As I said, a get right game hopefully on the horizon. The 1st of December, the Miami Dolphins in Miami. Thank you so much for listening to the show here on BGN Radio. We do appreciate you swinging by. As always, if you enjoy, please rate, review, and subscribe on whatever app you listen to the podcasts. It wasn't a fun episode. They haven't been fun episodes recently, and there's definitely going to be one more not fun one coming up. That is the All-22 Review of the Eagles and the Seahawks film as that comes out. Keep an eye out for it late on Tuesday, early on Wednesday. Then we turn our eyes to the fish tank down in Miami. And, uh... What's the name of the head coach, Brian Flores? Brian Flores is Miami yeah. Dolphins. I like uh, him. Just, yep, I do too. Just dropped one to the Browns. They are now 2-9 and nine on the year. Been feistier as of late, but still a team the Eagles should be able to beat. We'll get you primed for that matchup with two preview shows. One offense, one defense. One offense, defense, one defense, one offense. He's been Benjamin Solak on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak. I've been Michael Kist on Twitter, at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. Thank you so much for watching. We will catch listening. You don't watch podcasts. You listen to them. We will catch you later this week. One last note before we get out of here. I just saw Jimmy Kemsky tweeted out that Wentz left the locker room, right hand heavily wrapped. Dr. David Chow at Pro Football Doc says, lack of wrap on hand or thumb, doubt, significant injury. So some news there, but. So 100%, he's just pulling an Aguilar after the Patriots game. But that's fine. I didn't hate it when Aggie did it. I don't hate it when Carson did it. <laughs> We all we got. Listen, Doug should be walking out there with a cane right now. We all we yeah, need. Yeah, no, I turned my ankle on the sideline. Fly, Eagles, fly. P-G-N. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.